Welcome everyone to another episode of Focused on Christ, where we are passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm Mike Crump here with Pastor Nathan Smith of Heritage Baptist Church. Now, Nathan, before we jump into our topic for today, we actually had a question from a listener. Um, yeah, they were they were asking a question about around the episode eight and nine. We we're talking about the fall and the curse of man. Um, and their question, Bonnie asks this. She says, if we understand serpents to be snakes, why were all snakes cursed for the actions of a spiritual being who took the form of a serpent? So, you know, we have the serpent who is the devil in disguise talking to Eve and then but then the serpent loses the feet and and has to slither so doesn't seem fair to the poor serpent I've had some interesting questions before in my yeah. pastoral ministry I think this is the first time this one has ever been asked <laughs> well um, good that's excellent so that yeah. means there's at least one other person out there who's asking these random questions. Well, first of all, I think it's great that people are asking questions. And if anybody else listening to this podcast has questions, I hope they will put them forward. Definitely. Because this this format allows for a good interactivity to be able to talk about God's word. Now, if we look at Genesis 3, if we understand serpents to be snakes, why were all snakes cursed? It's a good question that has some speculation in the answer because the Bible doesn't exactly put forward why there was universal uh, cursing of the snake. But there's a couple of things that we can surmise based upon the greater arc of theology. Number one is that there is an example where the actions of one causes an effect across an entire group. We call that in theology, federal headship. In other words, Adam yep. in his federal headship as the first man and sinned, sin went to the entire group of humanity. Now, we reinforce the Adam sin mm-hmm. daily in our constant sinning and our rebellion against God. Yeah. So we reinforce the original uh, condemnation that happened to Adam. Snakes are not moral beings. <laughs> they are They are not. Um, no, not, no, I know snakes <laughs> are evil. I just know it. Lots of people would say that, you know, but, but they're not moral <laughs> beings in the sense that they have a cognizance of what is right and wrong. So they're not necessarily reinforcing that. But in other words, that snake in the garden became the federal head for representative of the entire group and the curse passed gotcha. to them. Uh, Israel, same thing. There's a headship, as it were, that the kings, um, <laughs> if one king sinned or did well before the Lord, it had an effect across the entire group. So uh, it's kind of a funny question in one sense, but there are other examples where the actions of one affects the entire group. Okay, well, that makes, sh- that makes sense, especially, I mean, we're talking about the beginning of things and Adam especially being the federal head of uh, us as mankind, and so that, that can make sense. So hopefully Bonnie will be okay with that answer. Hopefully so. <laughs> well, if you do have other questions, we would love to hear them. You can go to FocusedOnChrist.com, and we'll give a way for you to be able to submit questions that you may have as you study God's Word. Well, what's interesting is that uh, today we're actually going to be talking about another talking animal, um, which is something that you don't see a whole lot of in Scripture, but there are a couple times you see this happen. It's not a snake this time, but it's a donkey that we see in Numbers 22. This is the story of Balaam. And uh, we're not going to get into animal linguistics because that's just weird, Um, but we are going to be talking about Balaam primarily and uh, looking at these blessings and cursings that are really a major part of the story of Israel, as we see over time. Mm. Um, so before we jump into that, Nathan, can you bring us up to date of where, we're, where we are? Because Balaam falls in the midst of a lot of things happening with Israel and maybe just helping 
give us an understanding in the timeline. So we're in the book of Numbers. This is where the story takes place. And mm-hmm. if we look at the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Genesis, uh, Genesis, beginning, Exodus, uh, where we get the English word exit, same type of root word coming out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leviticus, that, that is a reference to the Levitical priesthood. That then if you look in the book of Leviticus, it's mostly to do with priests and sacrifice. Uh, numbers, we have that name because there's two major census, you know, counting of the yeah. peoples yeah. that happen, and the book is named after that. The original Hebrew name for the book of Numbers is In the Wilderness. Really? Which actually I think is a better title. Because it is describing the presence of the Israelites in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. the battles they're facing, the challenges they're facing. And if you read through Numbers, aside from those two census that happen, it's a battle with this king. It's a battle in conflict as they're going through the wilderness and frankly trying to survive against these nations that are trying to destroy them. Uh, the fifth book in the what we call the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy means second law. Okay. It's really a restating and ex- an extrapolation of the law. But if we look in numbers here where we're at, we have this list of, um, of people that are being named as a part of the people of Israel. Uh, there's been several rebellions that have taken place, Korah's rebellion, mm-hmm. Um, even Moses himself striking the rock, in essence, rebelled against God, even in that action. Yeah. So the people of Israel are constantly rebelling against God, but God is upholding his side of the covenant by continuing to protect them despite their rebellion, mm. continuing to guide them and lead them through the wilderness. And the blessings and the curses, as we look at this in the Old Testament, it's actually a really important reminder that the gospel itself is both blessing and and curse. Mm. In other words, you think about the the weight of sin that finds fulfillment in the grace of God and forgiveness. And a full gospel always has both the reality of sin Mm -hmm. and its death, its curse, and then the blessing that is found in Christ. That's the gospel, the full gospel. So what we see in the Old Testament is really the precursor to the fulfillment of the gospel in the New Testament. Okay. So the blessings and curses both necessary. How can you know the good news unless you don't know the bad news? It's such an important backdrop for the gospel, Yes, for the good news, is that because if you were to walk up to somebody and just say, hey, Jesus came for you, without the context of the sin and the separation of God and in his wrath abiding upon the person, you just don't see the beauty of the gospel. You don't see the beauty of what Christ has done. Um, and so that makes sense. And the seriousness of sin. And seriousness of sin. And sin needs justice. And that's what these books are setting up. Yeah. Sin needs justice. Well, we get into this story, and we're introduced to a guy named Balaam. And what as I, as I was reading through this, it really was kind of a fascinating personal study because I'm like, I don't know what to think of this guy. Um, is he a prophet of some sort, or is I mean, because he's hearing from God. We see that the king of Moab goes to him, and he basically says, "Hey, I know that whoever you bless is going to be blessed. Whoever you curse is going to be cursed." Um, and so we see these things happening. And then even Balaam himself talks about, "Hey, I'm going to report from God, and I'll come back to you and tell you what he said." And so, but then he doesn't kind of turn out to be the best of guys. So who is this character that we're introduced to? He seems to be a seer, if you will, a a prophet, not of God, but more of like a, along the lines of like what we'd think of as a fortune teller. Okay. But probably empowered by real demonic entities. Mm. Now, 
at this time period in history, we do have other references to uh, even historically through the Ugaritic text that people had a sense of a supreme being God. So Balaam has a sense of some sort of mm. supreme being. He doesn't recognize him fully as Yahweh okay. or as the God as we understand him, but he does have a sense of a uh, of a of a God being, a God who's above all other gods. And this guy is making a living off of basically selling his advice and saying, God said, and I'm going to bless you, I'm going to curse you. Mm. And people took it as law. We're talking about a culture where there is a hyper sense of, of the reality of the divine. Mm. I remember someone saying, if you could get into the shoes of Martin Luther during the time of the Reformation in Germany and what the major thought process was, mm-hmm you would have to remember that these are people who believed in trolls and imps and nymphs and fairies. The supernatural. The supernatural yeah. was super real. Yeah. You were afraid to go out at night because you might get abducted by mm. one of these supernatural beings. We don't think in terms like that. Yeah. But back in the day, people who, they believed in the divine. They believed in spirits. They believed in the power of, of super prophets, if you will, mm. who could... Uh, conjure the favor of the divine. Mm. And Balaam was one of those guys. And kings and princes took his word as if he was truly a spokesman of God. Okay. So, and and during this time, you have almost kind of this idea of warring gods based off location and and region, and your God is more mighty than my God. And so Israel is coming on the scene, and the stories of what God has done in their exodus and the power that was displayed. So no doubt you probably had some guys saying, well, if I can manipulate people into thinking I have some, you know, insight into this God, you know, maybe that'll help me out a little bit. Well, and because territorial gods were and gods of certain tribes, so here you have this major group of people, the Israelites, mm-hmm. and they're bringing with them this God who just overturned the greatest empire in the ancient world. Yeah, you can kind of get a glimpse of why these local kings, these city-state kings, are terrified. Yeah. Because these people are bringing with them their God, and their God seems really strong, and their God might overtake my God, and if they overtake my God, they're going to take over my territory. So they're soliciting the help of Balaam because they're afraid. Now we see in Balaam referenced, even in the New Testament, several times, um, 2 Peter 2 talks about forsaking the right right way that they may have gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam. Um, Basically, what we see even in Jude 11 and Rome, uh, Revelation 2 is that there is a love for money that is propelling this deceit of man through false prophets or false teaching. And so a warning against those kind of things. He's a charlatan. He's used as a foil of someone who uses spirituality to make money. We don't see that today at all. Never. <laughs> oh, you know, religion is big business. It really it is. is. And Balaam was one of the precursors to that. Yeah. He saw that there was money to be made in putting himself forward as a special man of God. Yeah. So Balaam wasn't a good guy. No. He was, uh, we, we see even that they took a fee of divination to him. So obviously there was a fee he was charging for him to, you know, speak to the Lord and manipulate things. Um, but there's something that happened in Numbers 22. Uh, God does speak to him. And God began, he, he basically goes to the Lord and hears from him. And there's this confusing part that I was going to throw at you because I really have no idea what just happened here. Um, <laughs> Numbers 22. I think I know where you're going. You know where I'm going with this? 20 through 22 says this. 
That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. And then immediately we read, But God's anger was kindled because he went. And I'm like, all right, something happened between these two verses that I'm not exactly sure. And I was just curious what your thoughts are, because it seems like God said go, but then he went, and now God's angry. Well, well you, you put your finger on something that, frankly, theologians have tried to wrestle with, and that is it seems like God commanded him and then got angry with Balaam for obeying his command. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go with these guys. And Balaam went with those guys. And then God was angry with Balaam for going with those guys. Yeah. So it seems very inconsistent on God's part. Um, big picture. Yes. The Bible assumes that the backdrop to everything we are is that God is always good, he is always righteous, and that he is always consistent. Mm-hmm. So we always start there. And when Scripture doesn't explain the rea- the rationale for God's actions, the it assumes that you will start with that basic assumption mm. that whatever happened here in between, it's not God's fault. It's mm-hmm. not God manipulating. It's got not God orchestrating sin, but there is something that happened with the individual that caused God to react in a holy way. Yeah. So that's a basic sta- starting point. There is a little bit of a textual hint. There is some mystery here, but there's a textual hint where it says in verse 20, but God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men have come to call you, Rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Mm. Okay? Okay. So that instruction, only do what I tell you. Now, Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, went to the princes of Moab, and then in verse 22 it says God was angry. Mm-hmm. Now we have the threefold where the donkey is trying to get away from this angel yes. that has been placed in the path. First of all, I want to make a statement that we have a little bit of God's grace here, even to the charlatan. Mm. because the angel repositioned himself several times. Whereas if he just had transgressed one time, the angel could have struck him dead right there. Yeah. But God allowed the donkey to speak, mm. and the destroying angel repositioned himself three times even after Balaam tried to get back on the path of disobedience. Wow. So even though God was angry, there were still multiple opportunities for deviation of that anger. Now, when God opened the eyes of the donkey... The angel of the Lord in verse 35, it says, the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, so Balaam's eyes are opened, mm-hmm. which, forgive me, side note tangent, it's almost comical how the donkey speaks and <laughs> Balaam just has this casual conversation with him. Like I, I thought the same thing as well. It's like, th- th- there's no shock. Is this something that you see all the time? All I know. <laughs> and then the angel as well, the angel appears, he sees yeah. the angel, he's almost like, Oh, I didn't see you there. Yeah. So, you know, there, there, there's a little bit of, of, of subtlety in, in yeah. how this is just played off as normal. But I'm sure that Balaam must have there been There had like, to have been some response. Are you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> there's an angel. Uh, and I think that's that, that that's shown even in his response because he says, I'll do whatever you want. Lord. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's a, a godly terror. But remember, he said, only do what I tell you. Mm-hmm. That same instruction is repeated in verse 35. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men but speak only the word that Mm. I tell you. So I think the most logical explanation is that God said, okay, go, but here's the parameter. Mm -hmm. You have to do exactly what I say. But when Balaam set out, something in his heart was, he is not going to do exactly what he says. He's going to, you know what? He's going to make a little extra Mm. money. He's going to do what he wants. So much so that God has to restate the instruction. You must do exactly what Mm. I say. 
And so that is the both the qualifying instruction. Yep. Somewhere between those two points, Balaam got in the back of his mind. Mm-hmm. I am going to do this for my prophet. Now, even though we see later in the story that Balaam is ultimately obedient, uh, sorry, not ultimately obedient, he's obedient in this instance. Yes. Ultimately, his heart is drawn away by money, and he's proven out to truly be a false prophet charlatan. Yes. And we do see kind of the, he, he isn't able to curse Israel, mm-hmm. which is what the instruction was to begin with, is go inquire and then curse Israel on our behalf. This is the Moabite king wanting that to happen. And so, but Balaam's like, I can't do that because God's telling me no. Um, and that kind of raises that that key question is why were blessings and cursings so important to Israel? And obviously there's something culturally here too because the Moabite king is wanting blessings and cursings to be used as well. So what is it about the blessings and cursings? You've touched on it a little bit. Is there a divine power in the blessing and the curse itself? Is this something that we see even today that we should practice? I mean, how, how do we navigate the blessings and cursings that we see? It's a great question, Mike. And really, Balaam's blessing and curses had zero power. What is actually going on is God is going to use, frankly, a pagan charlatan mm-hmm. to declare to the nations that they're about to go into that God's blessing is already on them. Mm. God has already declared blessing on Israel. He's already declared ownership of Israel for Canaan, that they are going to take the land. God has already made blessing after blessing, and the covenant has already been made at Sinai. Mm. So what God is doing, I actually think there's a a declarative, frankly, promotion that's going on by God that's saying, I want all the nations to know these are my people, Mm. and I have already blessed them. And a little bit in um, kind of fun, if you will, God's going to use even a fallen voice to affirm that, yeah. Balaam. But he is also giving, is he not giving the kings and the nations an opportunity to say they are blessed of God? Mm. You better decide now if yeah. you're going to go against God or if you're going to join in this people and become a part of the people of God, which we know that's okay because in this wilderness wandering, there's Egyptians. We know that there's Egyptians that have joined the Israelites. We know that other of the Canaanites ultimately join the Israelites. Like um, we we have when we get to Jericho, we'll 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 see that. But I think this is part of God's grace. I do think that's a a beautiful reality. I I think the, would it be more akin to a prophet, kind of just a prophetic word about God's people more than it is kind of a, it's got power in and of itself. It's just, like yes. you said, declaring, like, this is reality. I think so. Yeah. I think it's a de- declaration of what is already, in fact, true. It's not some sort of special power that Balaam had and that God was going to bless Israel because of what Balaam said or did not say. So would the blessings and cursings that we even see in, let's say, the patriarchs, where we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're they're declaring these blessings over their sons. You know, um, would that be kind of a similar thing that they are simply declaring how it's going to go for them? 
in, in kind of a God-inspired way? They are affirming their faith and trust in what God has already spoken. Mm-hmm. They're affirming their faith and trust God spoke, and we believe it so much that we're passing this on to the next generation. Yeah. And we want them to live in light of what God has already said. So it's an affirmation of what God has spoken. And once you come out of the New Testament, you realize the formula is not really any different. Mm. The Apostle Paul is so strong about affirming what God has already done in the cross, affirming the identity that Christ has already given. When, when I say to you, Mike, you are a child of God, mm. I am not really conferring any special blessing upon you by my words of power. Yeah. I am affirming what God has already declared you to be. Amen. And so God used Balaam to declare what Israel already have been spoken of by God. These are my people. Yeah. And the patriarchs are declaring over their children what God has already spoken and promised to them. Amen. You know, I do think it's interesting, and God uses Balaam, who is lost, brute beast of a man, just as he used the donkey to speak to you know, Balaam and save him from, you know, it's almost like he, God uses inside of this thing, a picture of, Hey, hey, Balaam, you're, you're like a donkey. I can make a donkey speak. And you're basically just my tool in order to provide a message. And actually the donkey is shown to be the wiser one (laughs) in this story. It's, it's a reversal, isn't it? That's true. I mean, the donkey saw the wrath of God and it went off to mm. the side, but Balaam did not. And even there is a good picture of human mankind's depravity, yeah. that even a donkey sees the reality of God's wrath and justice and, frankly, the death of transgressing that holy boundary. Yeah. But Balaam, who's so set on his own affections and passions, continues to barrel forward into it. Mm. So there's a great lesson even for us in the story about being careful. Yeah. That we're maybe maybe we could retool it. The wisdom of a donkey <laughs> that sees God and rightly fears him. And fears him. Well Balaam, like we said, did not fear God and ultimately um, he kind of helped pers- persuade the you know the Moabites and to tempt the people of Israel mm-hmm. into sin using sexual immorality, using idolatry, and that was effective Mm -hmm. to lead the people away from the Lord. Um, So it wasn't the blessings, it wasn't the cursings, it was temptation. Temptation is a powerful thing that happens, and if, and if, if Satan can get into the people of God by preying on their natural desires. That, that's exactly what mm. uh, Balaam did with the people of Israel. Yeah. And you can see, once again, Balaam is really just there for whatever is in it for him, yep. uh, whatever it is to please people, whatever it is to make a dollar, uh, that's what he's going to go after. So if you were to take this, this story of Balaam and boil it down to what can we take from this for us today? New Testament believers, we're following Jesus, we're desiring to seek after the Lord How does this apply, or what can we learn from this today? I think that in this we see God's intervening to protect his people Mm. and even to showcase himself into an unbelieving world that the people themselves did not even know was going on. If you think about that, the Israelites Mm. had no idea that this interchange was happening with a fallen man and fallen kings, but God was working. Yeah. I think there's there's many ways that we can take a, the big idea, if you will, of this this passage. But really, in my opinion, the big idea of this passage, the main takeaway, 
is God works in all types mm. of ways behind the scenes to accomplish his will and his purpose to declare his glory to the nations while at the same time protecting and guiding his people to their ultimate destiny and destination. Amen. And, and I think alongside that is there is no conspiracy that is going to cause God to fret. <laughs> Pra- I mean, that's yeah. just a reality. Pra- I mean, I mean th- this was a conspiracy behind mm-hmm. the scenes, isn't it? was. It? A yeah. bunch of kings and princes are conspiring with, frankly, a man who's in league with the demonic yep. in order to accomplish counter to the will of God. And they're having this background little mm-hmm. powwow. And then God says, well, I'm going to insert myself, and I'm still going to accomplish my will. Yep. So to that. There is nothing behind the scenes that is outside of God's prerogative. There's nothing beyond his ability to handle. He is in control. Amen. And what a what a sense of peace we can have if we hold fast to that truth. Our Lord is in control. No matter what kind of conspiracies are out there, no matter what governments are doing, no Absolutely. matter how many weird balloons are floating in the sky, <laughs> um, all of it is not outside the purview of our Lord. So Amen. we can trust him. Well, Nathan, thank you again for uh, answering all my questions about Balaam and the donkey. That's uh, very good. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Focused on Christ. Next week, we dive into the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to look at the Shema and the importance of shaping our life around the character and nature of our God and King. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment, give it a five-star rating so others can find it. Also, if you haven't already, you can watch our video podcast, now available at FocusedOnChrist.com. Thank you.